and welcome to the Corny and Lind Legal Chatter Podcast, where we discuss different but likely scenarios, provide general legal information, and get to know our lawyers. Please note that this podcast series does not provide or intends to provide legal advice. everyone and welcome again to another episode of Connie and Lynn's Legal Chatter, um, it's a brand new podcast where we talk about all sorts of exciting things and as exciting as talking about the legal world can actually be. I'm here today with Nina Flewell-Smith who is a director at Connie and Lynn Lawyers and her specialty is with commercial charities and not-for-profits. I'm also here with Judith Mendez. Um, she is a law clerk at Cornell and Lawyers um, with a big interest in human rights. And I'm James, I'm also a director at Cornell and Lawyers and I work principally uh, in litigation and family law. So today, our topic for today is going to be in relation to uh, charities sending money overseas. I understand that a very um, big part of uh, charities is supporting overseas mission, um, supporting its overseas projects. Uh, but before we launch into that, uh, let's let's just find out a little bit more about Nina Flo smith and Judith Mendes. So Nina. Hello, um, everybody. Yes. Hello, Nina. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, what brought you into the law and uh, what keeps you going in terms of um, showing up every day and putting your hand on the tools at Corning Lind? Oh, thanks, James. Um, okay, so like James said, I specialise in commercial and not-for-profit and charity law. Um, and if I'm being honest, when I started out in law school, I didn't actually see myself in this particular area. Um, so that's just the way that things work out. Sometimes life goes in a way that you don't expect it to. So when I started out at university, um, I had big dreams like many law students do of... of um, engaging in bettering the human rights of people in third world countries and things like that, um, working for not-for-profits, helping them do their good work. Um, yeah, and then when I was finishing up my studies, I landed um, a job at a law firm, which I had always wanted to work at, which happened to be Corny and Lynn lawyers. So I started here as a law clerk. I put my hand to a lot of different things, um, litigation, employment law, commercial law, not-for-profit and charity law. And I have ended up in not-for-profit and charity law and commercial law. And what I enjoy most about that um, is being able to work with, especially not-for-profits and charity organisations, being able to help them get their structuring right, to get their house in order, to get their governance right, um, to make sure that they are able to continue doing the good work that they are doing out in the community. So I guess where my thinking has ended up, James, is... um, I don't have to be necessarily out there on the front lines helping um, helping advances in human rights, but I am definitely able through my profession here to um, help other organisations do what I originally intended to set out to do. Um, and that's where I find my meaning and that's where I, I guess, see myself doing long term. Oh, thanks, Dina. Hmm. And what about you, Judith? And I know a big passion of you is to uh, you know, be on effectively on the tools with the human rights. And I know you've travelled... Um, all across the world, uh, participating in all these programs. <laughs> T- tell us a little bit of yourself and how you see um, law and uh, this passion intersecting. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me today um, as well, James. I think 
similarly to Nina, I'm passionate about helping businesses as well um, incorporate more human rights into their endeavours. Mm. Um, that's sort of where I want to see my future um, future go and um, bring forth more of a human rights um, impact and human rights knowledge into businesses and how they work and how they go about. Mm. So you've been at a few conferences recently, haven't you, Judith, in The Hague? I have, Can you yes. tell us a couple of them that you've been to? Yeah, of course. I've been to um, one recently in the Netherlands, in The Hague, um, that was all about uh, law and technology and how we can work to, in the future, um, intersecting technology mm. and law um, to reach law's full potential. Mm. Uh, that's very interesting, Judith, because I'm, I'm on a QoS innovation committee and mm. one of the... Uh, one of the focuses that I'm seeing from um, uh, from businesses and uh, and organizations around Queensland is trying to improve technology so that to give people access to justice. Yeah, uh, it's it's a big problem in all across the world where I think the law is a privilege or access to the court, mm. access to justice is a privilege only for the rich. Mm. Um, and and you know there's there's a lot of work in it to try and break down those barriers and access to justice Mm. um and and certainly i think that's also quite related to some of the topic or the topic we're talking about today um on on the topic of human rights um i know uh coming out um uh, coming out of a lot of the legislative work that we've seen here in australia there's a big emphasis on things such as um combating uh modern slavery Mm. um and, ma- and ma- making sure that uh, people are remunerated for the work. And certainly from um, uh, my own church, uh, there's been a lot of work done to try and combat, um, for example, sexual slavery in, in mm. jurisdictions outside of Australia where uh, young women are sold into um, this life of, uh, of selling their bodies in order to mm. get by and support their families. And I think certainly it's something that draws um, uh, what, from what I hear has drawn both of you into the law at certain parts in your life mm. um, and perhaps I'll use that as the platform to launch into the conversation topic um, which is talking about sending money overseas I hear a lot about uh, in church organizations a lot of these horror stories where um, a church for all the right reasons wants to go off and support overseas missions because um, uh, other cultures or other communities out there just don't have access to the, some, to the, some, uh, to the funding. Mm. But then I hear the horror stories of um, they've sent people over and um, it turns out that the, that the church they were supporting yeah. was run by a pastor who had engaged in inappropriate behavior with children and, only dis- and they only discovered that after the fact. Mm. Or I also hear about um, uh, organizations that have taken their money and misused it for uh, uh, for you know nefarious purposes, for illegitimate purposes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. um, and Nina, I know you've done some work recently around external conduct standards. Can you tell us perhaps a little bit about that and how that impacts uh, churches? Absolutely. So this um, this is a change which has really taken charity world by storm, James. Um, so a lot of changes have come in um, into the relevant charity law legislation, which have changed the way that. Um, charities and especially churches um, need to think about when they're operating overseas. Um, So a lot of charities um, are either in one of three camps. So they're either directly operating overseas, they're either um, 
sending money to an organization that is located overseas or they are sending money to an organization in Australia which is then sending that money overseas. Um, so what the ACNC has done in response to the amount of money that they have seen going from charities and to... And ACNC, Nina, being... Sorry, the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profits Commission. So they're our charities regulator. Mm-hmm. So if you're registered as a charity, you'll be registered with the ACNC and you'll be reporting to the ACNC every year. Um, as part of reporting to the ACNC, you need to let them know what your activities are. So did you run a church? Were you helping feed the homeless? Were you helping relieve poverty? Were you sending money overseas? And if you do tick the box and tell them that you've been sending money overseas, you can expect that they're going to have a lot of questions coming back at you. And the reason that we can expect this is that on the 23rd of July this year, the ACNC implemented new legislation called the External Conduct Standards, which is a set of standards intended to apply to charities which are either operating overseas or giving money that is eventually going to be used overseas. And they've um, these external conduct standards have really brought in some wholesale changes to how charities have to manage themselves and the protections and the policies and procedures and things like that that they need to be putting in place um, when they are sending money overseas or operating overseas. And one of them being churches that are either sending money overseas to support purposes that they believe in as part of their religious ministry or if they are, for example, supporting a missionary overseas or something like that. Um, And the aim of this new legislation which has been brought in, or the changes, sorry, to the existing legislation, um, is to combat against the risk that criminal organisations could be taking advantage of registered entities by, for example, misusing funds or providing a cover for or supporting criminal activities. Um, So what we were seeing is there are a lot of charities out there that are operated by good people wanting to do good things. but sometimes they are so um, stretched for time as to what to, I guess, focus their time on that sometimes they weren't focusing their time on compliance and they mm. were giving money to third parties but not yeah. actually doing proper due diligence yeah. on these third parties. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes these third parties turned out to be uh, less than above board um, and it turned out that some of this money was being applied to things such as sex trafficking, money laundering, things like that, which was a really sad situation when churches um, have really generous donors giving money, wanting to support these good causes and that money is not making its way to supporting those good causes. Mm. So enter the external conduct standards. Mm. So these external conduct standards are a set of four standards um, which set out how we need to... um, act when we're sending money overseas. Do you want me to keep going? I've been talking for a while. Yeah, so Nina, you talked about the three avenues, sending money directly overseas, um, sending it to an organisation, or Mm. sending it third party in Australia, who then sends it overseas. I'm aware a lot of our listeners can be um, churches or charities that Mm. are doing so. Speak to the three different um, avenues there. Put yourself in shoes of someone sending a directly overseas sending to an organization b or third party what would you advise them going into sending money and also just ways to um utilize their due diligence in doing so okay very good question i'll start with the easy one first so if we are a charity registered in australia and we are sending our money to another charity registered in australia and that charity is then sending the money overseas 
we don't need to comply with the external conduct standards. The reason that we don't need to comply with the external conduct standards is because um, that charity has to comply with the external conduct standards itself. So we've ticked the box there, somebody's complying with it, that's all the ACNC is really concerned about. If we are then sending money either to a third party which is located overseas, so for example a third party that is not registered as a charity with the ACNC, or if we are directly doing acts overseas, so for example, if we are directly funding to build a school for the disadvantaged or to operate an orphanage or something like that, then we need to comply with the external conduct standards. Now, James, would you like me to just talk about what these external conduct standards are before we, before we delve into how we can comply with them? Yeah, that sounds pretty helpful, Nina. <laughs> All right. First thing to say is I gave a one and a half hour webinar on this um, a couple of weeks ago, so it's I just won't be able to explain it um, in all of the detail that it needs um, for the purpose of a podcast today. <laughs> so what I'll do is I'll just um, breeze over them very quickly. Um, there's four standards. Two standards are focused on public accountability and financial matters, and two standards are um, focused on conduct outside of Australia. So the first external conduct standard focuses on activities and control of resources. So it tells us that a charity must do a few things. First of all, they need to take reasonable steps to ensure that their activities outside of Australia um, advance their charitable purpose. So if you're a church, you need to be advancing religion. Secondly, they have to maintain reasonable internal control procedures to ensure that their resources are used outside of Australia in a way that's consistent uh, with their charitable purpose. And thirdly, they need to take reasonable steps to ensure that the resources that they're sending outside of Australia to, for example, a third party um, is applied in accordance with its not-for-profit purpose. So it's all very technical there, yeah. but essentially what it's telling us is that we need to take administrative steps and get our own house in order to make sure that any application of this money is going to be advancing our charitable purpose. Mm. So it sounds to me, Alina, like the days are gone when um, the church can, on a whim, decide, well, this charity over there sounds great, we're going to send money to them. Or this charity over there in Cambodia, Vietnam sounds great, let's send a couple of missionaries mm. over and mm. um, help, build a, help build a building or, mm. or, give, or give some money and labor mm. over to them for free. Uh, it sounds to me that the onus really now is placed back onto our churches and That's organizations right. to work hard and find out a little bit more about these organizations that they're supporting. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so they need to be doing due diligence. They need to be having a look. Um, if we're giving money to a third party, we need to be having a look at their track record, have a look at their website, have a look at the records that are available publicly. Have they been in the news for, for impropriety, things like that. Um, and most of all, does the work that this third party is doing align with the work that we as a charity are doing? So we want to make sure that if we are a church, this charity that we need to be supporting is advancing religion. Oh, so let's say, so how does that work if, and you know, at the church obviously there's a, uh, there's a whole range of different things that we want to do in the name of um, the mission that, that the church is called to. So how... Advancing the kingdom. That's right. So, how would, um, how would it, let's say a church is established over here in Queensland? How mm. would they go about um, trying to um, uh, assist the disadvantage? Let's say uh, bring me- bring medical aid to mm. um, uh, an overseas country in Africa. Mm. Um, how would they go about achieving that if that's completely different 
to um, their mission over here in Australia? Very good question. Um, churches, in my view, um, are in a very privileged position in that what they are able to do in the name of advancing religion and in the name of advancing the kingdom is they are able to either go and, for example, establish churches overseas, or but they can also advance education overseas if that education is being targeted towards kids that are in need, or they can relieve poverty. They can be help feeding the they can help feed the homeless and get people out of poverty and um, and help the disadvantaged. And the reason that they can do that is because that is um, there's many different ways of expressing our faith and being the hands and feet of Christ. Um, so they are able to support organisations which are not solely operating for the advancement of religion, but that we can reasonably draw a line and say, yes, that, in, that is the advancement of the kingdom, mm. that is in pursuit of advancing religion. So there's no clear cut, this is right, this is not right. It's... No, there's no clear cut, um, there's no clear cut correct or incorrect um, overseas charities that we can support there will of course be ones that fall outside the ambit of what we can do so for example uh, medical research that's that can't we couldn't in my view we couldn't reasonably draw a very direct line from from advancing religion to medical research mm. so there are certain things which would fall out of it but in my view the um the ambit's pretty broad of what we can support mm. um as part mm. of um, as part of supporting third parties overseas oh excellent now, one thing I will say about supporting third parties overseas is that the ACNC requires us to follow the line of money. So what I mean by that is if we, so if I am a church based in Queensland, I am giving money to a third party located overseas. That third party is then giving that money to another party, which I will call a fourth party. And then that fourth party is doing the on the ground work of relieving poverty. The ACNC, as, um, as a result of this new legislation, is actually requiring us to follow that line of money and take responsibility mm. for that money mm-hmm. and ensure that that money is applied to the charitable purposes, no matter how many hands it passes through. Yeah. Which I don't know about you, but when I first read that and when I first saw that, I thought, that's really onerous, you know? We're just, we could be a small church, yeah. um, but we're still having to follow that line of money and it's, it can be difficult. Yeah, well, I think it again, it's just... <laughs> something that's put in place to combat the horror stories. Correct. I heard the other day of some of an organization that was building orphanages um, and they were having people yeah. flown over to build the orphanages, but it turns out yeah. they were abducting all mm. these children mm. in order to... And that's common. Yeah, and in order to uh, attract uh, people from privileged first world countries to build, uh, to assist in building these, mm. um, these buildings. And it's really sad because people are wanting to do good things with these money, yeah. with this money, um, and it, it can sometimes fall into the hands of the wrong people. Mm. Another thing that I will say uh, when we're sending money to third parties, I was just talking about how difficult it can be to comply to kind of follow this money mm. down the line. What I think is the best way to be able to um, manage this in a way that is practical, in a way that's cost effective, in a way that's possible, especially for our churches, um, is for the church to sign a memorandum of understanding with a third party that they are sending money to. Yeah. That memorandum of understanding, I won't go through it in too much detail because every um, every entity wanting an MOU is going to need to get their own advice on it. Mm. But it will cover a few things. First thing is it will make sure that the third party agrees to comply with external conduct standard number one, namely being that they agree to apply the resources in a manner that advances religion or whatever that might look like. And secondly, it will make sure that the third party agrees that if they give money to what I will call the fourth party or the fifth parties down the line, 
they will agree and they will contract to make sure that those fourth or fifth parties agree to apply those resources mm. again for the advancement of religion whatever that might look like um, so there are yeah they're the two main things that would need to be in that memorandum of understanding the other thing that I will say as well James is this is really new legislation mm. so we don't actually know how the ACNC is going to respond to the measures that they put in place right. because the ACNC is saying yes you have to comply with all these external conduct standards but we don't know yet mm. exactly what we need to do to comply with it um, because we haven't had any court cases, the ACNC hasn't taken any action that we know of against anybody. Mm. So at the moment, we are just doing our best to comply. And as the ACNC gives us more to work with, yeah. then we will then we will be able to narrow down the specific steps, steps that we need to take. Area of law here. Yes, it is. Let's say uh, let's just let's just ask a pr- practical question. Um, a church has been a church and and their leadership has been praying for some time. Mm. Um, to, uh, to to set up uh, a new branch of ministry where uh, you know they want to assist with um, say helping some girls in the Philippines um, get through uh, get out of sex trafficking mm. um, and, and learn the skills to uh, be able to live without having to be a part of that you know very dark community mm. um, how uh, you know practically how would apart from, you know, setting up um, all sorts of organizations and getting all the requisite legal advice, how would they go about from a due diligence point of view just getting started? Mm. Um, origin uh, stage. Even, yeah, origin stage or, or partnering with an organization mm. or sending mo- figuring out which organization mm. to send money to. It sounds to me like it's not just going to be, um, uh, that uh, you know, the good old days of picking someone and sending it and over, but the they're money. actually yeah. giving them money. <laughs> but they actually have to you know, really think about, you know, sending overseas missions, mm. um, really going over there mm. and getting an understanding of, uh, of your community there and really you know, having, having a bit of a, some roots planted mm. um, within mm. that community. It's mm. not as simple, but for good reason. That's right. Exactly. Okay, well, I think that there's three, three ways at this. First of all is if they can identify a third party which is registered as a charity based in Australia who is already doing pretty much exactly what they want to be able to do, um, the best bet would just be to give that money to the third party located in Australia. The reason I say that is because these third parties are usually pretty big, they have policies and procedures set up and it's a lot easier for the church. That would really only be um, applicable if they had a, a general cause that they wanted to give to. Often there might be a community that they wanted to help that there's a gap and there's actually no one helping that particular mm. community, yeah. which is why churches want to go in and support that particular community. Mm. So in that case, the third party based in Australia is out. So then what do we do? We either give to a third party located overseas who is able to go into that community and work in that community and help to um, solve this problem, um, which we've just identified, or we do it ourselves as a church. Mm -hmm. So if we go with the first one, so if we're identifying a third party based overseas, we wanna be doing due diligence on that third party. And what I would say there is that it will be the board of the Australian charity that's doing that due diligence, and they should document this due diligence process. So they should be putting this in their board minutes if they Mm. need to, they should be making resolutions Mm. on it. Mm. Because the, I guess in exercising Mm the steps to comply with the external conduct standards, although it's not about 
just ticking the legal boxes. If the ACNC ever comes to you and says, hey, can you please show us how you're complying with them? We do want to be able to provide them with an objective paper trail mm. that we haven't just picked a third party out of nowhere and that we haven't Very done important. our due diligence mm. on them. Yeah. So if I can bang that drum, you need to document, yeah. document, document mm. um, and don't get caught um, without having a solid paper trail of your due diligence. Mm. So we need to be checking out this third party, have a look at what they're doing, have a look at their track record. See if they're registered as a charity in their origin country because often that will go towards credibility if another mm. government has identified that they're worthy to be registered as a charity. Mm. That will, of course, depend on country-by-country country basis because mm. some countries' governments are a little bit more relaxed and will have different requirements to the ACNC. Yep. Be having a look at this um, third party's activities and governing documents, if we can, to make mm. sure that that third party's objects can reasonably be seen to be as part of our ministry of advancing religion we mm. need to be able to fit it in that box mm. again the director should be minuting this and talking and in the minutes talking about their deliberations of why they think that relieving poverty mm. fits into our box of advancing religion yeah. so yeah. you know be in the hands and feet of christ yeah. things like that yeah um and then they should start conversations with this third party mm. and talk about what the Australian charity does, talk about what the third party does, how mm. we think that those two objects align, how much money we're looking at mm. sending to them mm. and what we would like them to do with it. Mm. And then after that, I'm probably getting a bit too far ahead of you, James, but then we should think about actually signing a formal binding memorandum of understanding. Yeah, I mean, it certainly sounds, and I'm thinking from you know a completely different world here, but... It sounds to me like it's a bit of a joint venture, um, yeah. a sort of a partnership agreement between two organizations and sort of making a commitment together. Yes. Uh, and documenting that commitment. Each, um, to work with each other. To yeah. work with each other for that purpose of advancing religion, whatever that may look like. Yes, absolutely. So the key there is to get the third party to acknowledge and agree to comply with the Australian charities' obligations under the external conduct standards. And certainly potentially even disclosing how they're going and what they're doing. Um, Correct. Yeah. So that will be in the Memorandum of Understanding. So you're, that's in External Conduct Standards 2, 3 and 4, which we haven't covered yet. Um, but <laughs> Not that we need to cover it in this time. It, <laughs> right. A lot of the listeners, feel free to go listen to Nina's webinar, what she covers it. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, so this, this MOU will be um, requiring that third party to report back at regular intervals and to provide documentary evidence of how they're going, what projects the money's been applied to, if those projects were successful. And importantly, it's going to also need to require the third party to actually disclose if that money has fallen into illegitimate purposes by accident mm. and what steps that third party mm. took to combat against that or to fix it. Because yep. mistakes are going to happen yep. um, and we need to disclose that. Mm, right. Absolutely. So it sounds like, just to recap, two major things there making sure that they, the organization you're looking to support is advancing religion. Yes. And also making sure that you have a memorandum of understanding with that organization to have something in paper, to have something to refer back to. And I think to keep each other accountable mm. as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So what about if the church wants to go and set up shop over there? Now that's a really big question, James, mm. because now we are no longer in the territory of shifting some of our owners to a third party and requiring mm. them to do everything and to comply with the external conduct standards but we have to comply with this with the whole suite of them yeah so what we need to be doing is first of all getting our own house in order yeah. so having policies and procedures that the board follows which sets out 
how we're going to pick what projects we're going to do, mm. why those product, why those projects are advancing religion, how much money we're going to mm. um, give to those projects, mm. and um, how we're going to comply with the external conduct standards when we're mm. doing those projects. And potentially even thinking about what are the laws on the ground over yeah. there in you know the Philippines or Cambodia mm. or Vietnam or wherever okay. it is that we're going. Yes. And all sorts of other issues that may pop up Could there. be very difficult. So what we always suggest to our clients is if they're setting up shop overseas, get advice first of all from us mm. um, and second of all from um, a registered solicitor in that overseas country. Mm. Because right. it might be that it's not actually worth conducting the activities from the Australian entity but actually setting up a whole new entity over there and right. conducting the activities out of that entity, it might be a little bit easier. And forming but, a joint venture partnership agreement, memorandum of understanding that we talked about a bit earlier. Correct, something yeah. like that. Right. Um, but that's of course going to depend on the country that we're in, what sort of government um, scaffolding is in place, <laughs> um, yeah. how easy it is to set up an entity over there, things like that. Mm. And in that case, for example, say that we're setting up another entity overseas mm -hmm. and that entity has the same board as the entity that we've got on the Australian charity, we've got a conflict of interest. Oh. So we need to make sure that we're managing conflicts of interest <laughs> um, very carefully. We need to make sure that we have conflicts of interest policies and procedures in place um, mm -hmm. to make sure that we're not um, unduly benefiting a non-charitable purpose. Yeah. Wow, sounds good. Mm. So we've gone... This is really fun. <laughs> so we've gone and discussed origin stage. Yeah. We've discussed whether if we want to take up our own onus and set up shop. What about flipping it to the other end of the spectrum? We're supporting a charity overseas. We're a charity. We're supporting an organization overseas. Mm. And we just found out they're not who they we think they are. Oh, no. Great question. Exploiting. Um, they're exploiting what happens what are the dangers of doing that how do we start to back out from that partnership there that's a very good question judith um first of all what we need to be doing is ceasing funding immediately if it's a very very clear breach of the external conduct standards if it's a mm, we think that something might be going on but we're not sure we need to hold it back a little bit don't act too rashly we need to be asking that third party to report back to us on what happened because like i said mistakes happen mm. sometimes money might mm. inadvertently um fall into some wrong hands mm. um and that's just human nature so we need to be asking them to report back on what happened we need to um be asking them to report back on what they did when they found out that mm. something might have happened how they investigated it did they terminate the employment of the person that was responsible for things like that? Mm. And if we're happy with the way that they have managed that, then in my view, again, we can tick that due diligence box and say, okay, mistakes happen, but we've looked at their policies and procedures, we've looked at their response, and it was just one dodgy individual, which is no longer, right. for example, in the organisation. But if it comes out that they, this organisation is exactly not who they say they are mm. and they're a sham organisation, we absolutely need to be pulling funding. I see. And we need to be, um, in my view, advising the ACNC of what mm. happened. Mm. Now, what's going to save you there is if at the front end, in the origin stage, we've done all our due diligence, we put all the correct policies and procedures mm. in place, and this was just a case of bad luck. So we need to be um, advising the ACNC of that, mm. and then the ACNC will deal with that accordingly and if mm. we haven't done all the right things at the front stage and we haven't continued to monitor the application of our funds then we could find ourselves in trouble mm. Mm. so in your words 
document document yes <laughs> and continue to require that documentation so it's not just a tick and flick at the front end it's setting up things properly making sure that everything's in order but then continuing to monitor that yeah. continuing to ask yeah. for disclosure continuing to ask for information to make sure that we can continuously comply with the external conduct standards mm -hmm. and again minuting that at your board meetings making mm -hmm. sure that the board has considered this as a standing agenda item for example right. making sure that we consider this once a month yep. so it doesn't fall off the radar right mm. wow I think that's about all the time we have mm. today. So uh, if, if I were to summarize today's conversation in two words, I think I would pick um, diligence as my first word mm. and, and accountability as my second mm. word. Uh, I think it, uh, what this conversation is highlighting to me that there's, uh, uh, that it's a lot of work. Mm. It is. But it's good work, yeah. Um, and it's for a good purpose as mm. well. Mm. And I think it's just to be committed. If we're going, if you're going to do something um, of this scale, then it's important to do it right, and it's important to be accountable. Mm. I do have one thing, one more thing to add, James. Is mm. these external conduct standards are not intended to mean that small charities such as small local churches with small congregations yep. can no longer send money overseas. That's not what they're intended to mm. do. And in keeping with that, the ACNC is going to enforce these external conduct standards proportionately. So if we're a large charity sending millions and millions of dollars overseas, the threshold and the, the amount of work that we have to do to comply with the external conduct standards is going to be much more mm. than a small local church sending money to a missionary overseas if it's a couple of thousand dollars a yeah, year. Just to support someone who's decided they're going to correct relocate, for example, in, in a different part of the world and spread the gospel there. Yeah. Correct. And we don't want this to cause smaller churches to be unable to operate overseas. So mm. what we're, um, just a, I guess a quick take home for missionaries. Mm. Um, if we're supporting a missionary overseas, we could just consider a one or two page spiritual appointee agreement mm. where we agree to give X amount of money yeah. to the missionary to support their living expenses yeah. while they're operating overseas and the missionary agrees not to use that, those, that money for illegitimate yeah. purposes. Oh, so again, it just comes back down to, again, documenting it, yes. being diligent about it, yes. and being accountable about it. Correct. Good. Yeah. Well, thank you, Nina. Thank you, Judith. Thank you and both. Thank you, everyone listening. Yeah. That's our second episode of Legal Chatter. Thank you for listening to the Corny and Lind Legal Chatter Podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode of Corny and Lind Legal Chatter. If you require specific legal advice for your situation, contact us directly on 07-3252-0011 or go to www.cornyandlind.com.au forward slash contact.